Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here. Um, thank you. Yes, good morning. My name is Christy, and um, I pastor at Arcadia City Church, which is one of your sister churches. And this place, this church, has great and deep meaning for me. Um, my husband and I, who now currently pastor together, were a part of this church for 16 years um, in all kinds of different roles. We were youth interns for a period of time. Um, I was in children's ministry as a children's pastor here for about two and a half years, um, then had four kids of my own and so stepped back to, um, to do that ministry at home. And my husband stepped in and was the missions pastor here for a period of time. And then um, really two, two and a half years ago, the Lord laid it on our hearts uh, to plant a church in the central Phoenix area. And so we've been doing that. But it really is uh, a joy and an honor to be with you this morning. Um, we at Arcadia City and you here at McDowell are in a series called Extremely Emotional, and, uh, which is kind of funny. And uh, if you've been here, then you've heard Matt say this phrase, that emotions can be the engine that drives us, or it can be the dashboard that indicates something that's going on within us or around us. We know that emotions have power. And so what we want to do is we want to spend some time talking about these emotions that are very real and how it is that we can move through, through these emotions in a way that is healthy. And to really ask the question of what does the Lord say, what do the scriptures say about how to walk through these emotions in our life. And last week, uh, Matt talked about anger. And so this week, we're going to turn and we're going to talk a little bit about sadness and what we do when we experience sadness in our lives. I'd love to, if it's okay with you, and I'm going to do it anyway, so I don't really know why I asked you that question. Um, <laughs> I want to read to you from one of my very favorite books. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You read this before? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I read it to my kids all the time. It's by Judith Yorst. And I'm not going to read all of it because we don't have time, very unfortunately. If we did, I would read all of it to you. Um, but I'm just going to read just a few excerpts from it. And this is how it starts. It says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell that it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. He gets to school, and it says, at school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16, but who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar, with almonds. And Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. And guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it keeps on going and it traces his whole day and this is how his day closes. He says, my bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. I had to wear my railroad train pajamas and I hate my railroad train pajamas. 
When I went to bed, Nick took the pillow back he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue, and the cat wants to sleep with Anthony and not with me. It has been a terrible, you can say it with me, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. <laughs> and I love that book because we all can identify. We have all experienced days like this that are just terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. But the truth is that sometimes we experience not just days that we would describe that way, but we experience weeks. We experience months. Sometimes we even experience years that we would say are terrible, horrible, no good, and very bad. The truth is that we, uh, we experience sadness and grief and loss and heartache in our lives. Very few of us, if any of us, can escape that. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about what we do with that very real emotion. And I'm going to use the term the great sadness as we talk about this. And, and, and the great sadness can come upon us for all kinds of different reasons. Um, a lot of times it comes upon us because of outside circumstances, because we experience a diagnosis in our own lives that shocks us. Um, maybe it's in the life of a loved one. Um, we experience this when we lose a, a child before it's even born. We experience this when our marriages fall apart, when we least expect them to. We experience this when we raise our kids to live life a certain way and then they turn away and they go in a different direction and our heart breaks as we watch them make painful decisions. So we experience the great sadness because of outside circumstances. Uh, sometimes we experience the great sadness because of our own decisions, of our own choices. We have addictions that we cannot seem to lay down. We chase after things that we're told will bring us life and purpose and meaning, but in the end we realize that they were just full of empty promises and they leave us feeling alone. And sometimes we experience the great sadness because we ourselves make a decision to walk away from God, to turn our backs on him and to go our own way. In a few minutes we're going to talk about the character of Jonah and this is true of him and in his own life. But no matter how we experience this great sadness, it's oppressive. I want to read this um, just very short passage to you from the book The Shack. Has anyone read The, the Shack? It just came out recently in, in, in a, as a movie. And in this book, the main character, whose name is Mac, he, he goes through something absolutely excruciating, just really, really the worst that you could ever even imagine. And the author, William P. Young, writes this beautiful passage about what, what the great sadness can feel like. And I just think this is really a profound description. So let me read this to you. He says this, The great sadness had draped itself around Max's shoulders like some invisible but almost tangible heavy quilt. The weight of its presence dulled his eyes and stooped his shoulders. Even his efforts to shake it off were exhausting as if his arms were sewn into its bleak folds of despair and he had somehow become part of it. He ate, worked, loved, dreamed, and played in this garment of heaviness weighed down as if he were wearing a leaden bathrobe. 
the murky despondence that sucked the color out of everything. If you've walked through sadness in your life, then it feels like this, doesn't it? It feels like no matter where you go, no matter where you find yourself, no matter who you interact with or what relationship you're in, that the sadness follows you. And so how is it that we live life when we walk through these kinds of situations, when we experience terrible, horrible, no good, very bad seasons of our lives, when we, when we have this great sadness, what do we do? Do the scriptures give us insight? And I think that they do. Um, as I mentioned, I, I want to look at this character by the name of Jonah that we find in the scriptures. And if you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to turn there. It's about three quarters of the way through. I'll show you kind of what it looks like in my Bible. And, and there will be some key phrases that will come up on the screen, some verses. So if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can still keep up. But we're going to be in Jonah and then also in the Psalms, in Psalm 42. And we're going to be flipping back and forth a little bit. Um, but I, I loved... Jonah and his story and the imagery that we see in this book, which is very powerful because just as Jonah gets swallowed alive, literally, by this big fish, we often call it a whale, so sadness can swallow us alive, can't it? And so I think that Jonah can give us insight into how it is that we respond when we walk through these challenges and these traumas and these tragedies and sadness in our life. Um, before we uh, dive into the word, I want to just say a prayer. So would you pray with me as we open the word of the Lord this morning? Jesus, we thank you that this is a safe space to talk about things that are hard. And so I don't know how everyone's come in this morning, um, perhaps some with, with heavy burdens, who, who could resonate with, with the description that we read in the shack of just carrying this weight. Um, and so I just pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word this morning powerfully, effectively. I pray that you would remove me so that you can be center stage here and that you would say what it is that you need to say and that we would hear you and listen to your voice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to ask this question of what do we do? What do we do when we have this great sadness in our life? And, and we're going to be looking at three different movements that I think Jonah gives us that helps us. And this is a story that, that probably many of you are familiar with. If you've grown up in church at all, this is one that we really like to tell in kids' church. It's pretty fun. Um, and, but I'm just going to give you just sort of a brief reminder of what happens in the story. So in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah is a prophet, and all that means is that, that Jonah is listening for the Lord to speak, and then it's his call and mission in life to communicate what the Lord has said to, to God's people. And so in the very beginning of this story, we see that God has spoken something to Jonah, that he wants him to go to the city of Nineveh. And what we quickly learn is that Jonah does not like this assignment, does not want to do this. Um, Nineveh has this reputation for being sort of uh, wicked and evil and a little bit violent. And what the Lord has asked Jonah to do is to go in and say, hey, listen, you guys are living in a way that's contrary, that's, that's not the way that the Lord wants you to live. And so I want to invite you to turn back towards him. He's preaching repentance, but he's concerned that when he gets there, his message might not be received 
all that well. They may not want to hear that. And so he decides that instead of saying yes to what the Lord has asked him to do, he's going to literally run the other direction. And he hops on a ship and he sails to the city of Tarshish, which is the opposite direction of Nineveh. And I'm sure that none of you here have ever done that in your life. Um, I certainly never have. Where the Lord has told me something and I've, I've gone the other way, I never have done that. That's sarcasm in case you didn't pick up on it, right? So I understand what Jonah's walking through. And so he gets on this ship, and there's this big storm that arises. And it's, it's so violent that the sailors and, and the captain of this ship, they think, it's, this is over. This is the end for us. The, the boat's going to sink. And so they start tossing the cargo off. They begin to pray and cry out to their gods and ask that they would save save them, spare their lives. And then they realize that this passenger that they have with them is asleep in the hull of the ship. And so they go wake Jonah up and they say, you better pray to your God because we're about to go down. And they put two and two together. I think because when Jonah gets on, he says to them, hey, guess what? I'm running from God. And so they say, I think this could be your fault that we're experiencing this. And so they take Jonah, I want you to imagine this, and they throw him overboard. And as they do, they say, okay, Jonah's God. We know you're real. We, we see this now. Please spare us. And then in goes Jonah's splash to the ocean, to the sea. And this is how chapter one ends. It says, but the Lord provided, interesting language, a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was on, inside the fish three days and three nights. It was literally swallowed by a giant fish. And again, I'm using this because of this imagery. It's powerful imagery. Sadness swallows us whole sometimes, doesn't it? And so these three movements that I want to share with you, I hope will help you as we wrestle with what do we do this, with this emotion of sadness in our life. And the very first movement we find right there in chapter 2 as we, as we begin in verse 1, and it should come up on the screen for you. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And it seems like sort of just an introductory sentence to chapter 2 that maybe it's not all that important, but I think it, it, it has extreme importance and value from us. From inside the fish, Jonah prays. When we experience this great sadness in our lives, we have a choice in how to respond to it. We can turn away from God and we can allow this sadness, this heartache, this loss, this grief to make us bitter towards God. That's option number one. Or we can turn towards God and we can allow this great sadness to draw us nearer to him. But we have a choice. And Jonah demonstrates that even from the belly of a fish, dark, chaotic. I mean, at this point, Jonah cannot tell up from down, and grief can feel that, to, that way to us sometimes, can't it? But Jonah decides to turn towards God instead of away from him. I had the privilege this week of listening to an interview with this uh, woman named Cheryl Sandberg, and I hadn't heard of her until I was listening to this podcast, but she is the CFO of Facebook. And her husband um, was a, the CEO of SurveyMonkey, so kind of this power couple. 
And they had three children. They have three children. And they were on vacation in Mexico, and her husband went to go work out. And he was running on the treadmill, and he collapsed very, very suddenly and died immediately. And uh, I was listening to this interview, which was just so powerful. She talked about um, how you go on living after something like that happens. And uh, she wrote, she posted this incredible moving post on Facebook, um, really 30 days after her husband passed. And, and her and her husband were of the Jewish faith. And in the Jewish faith, the first 30 days of grief are called shiloshim. I think I'm saying that right. Judy, are you here? Did I say that right? Maybe? Okay, good. Um, I thought you could correct me if I didn't say that right. And so she writes this beautiful post. And what's interesting to me is she says something um, that, that is very similar to what we learned from Jonah. And I want to read to you what she writes in this post. She says, I think when tragedy occurs, it presents a choice. You can give in to the void, the emptiness that fills your heart, your lungs, constructs your ability to think or even breathe. Or you can try and find meaning. These past 30 days, these first 30 days of her grief, I have spent many of my moments lost in the void. And I know that many future moments will be consumed by the vast emptiness as well. But when I can, I want to choose life and meaning. When we experience great sadness in our lives, we have a choice. We can turn away from God, and it's so easy to do this. And we can allow bitterness to grow in our hearts towards him, or we can turn towards him, and we can allow this sadness to draw us nearer to him. And so I wonder if, if this morning, if there's just some of you that are in the midst of a very difficult season, and perhaps all you can pray today from the belly of, of the fish, wherever you find yourself, is, is, Lord, help me not die while I'm still alive. It's an ancient Jewish prayer, and I think it's so beautiful. Help me not die while I am still alive. But in doing that, what you've done is you've made a courageous and a brave choice, so brave, to turn towards God instead of away from him. So we see this, this movement, this first movement in Jonah is this choice that we have. And the call is to, to turn towards God. And then the second movement is simply this, to pour out our soul, to pour out our soul. In Psalm 42, it says this uh, in verse 4, 42, 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. When we experience these strong and powerful emotions like the great sadness, our tendency is to think, if I can just go around it, if I can just circumnavigate it, then I'll be okay. If I can just suppress this or push it away, if I can just not deal with it, then it'll be okay. But the truth is, and, it, and we see this in this passage I read from the shack, that, that it haunts us. It haunts us. If we try to go around it instead of going through it, we find it in every single interaction, in every relationship, in every moment and place in our lives. And so the call of God is to say, instead of trying to go around this emotion, let's go through it. And I believe so strongly that the way through this emotion is by pouring ourselves out. 
by doing this deep soul-searching work of, of understanding what is inside of us and getting it from the inside to the outside. This is what we call in spiritual language a lament. And I love this idea that a lament helps emotions move through us like a wave, reaching its peak and then washing over us and eventually dissipating. When we put language to our grief, when we put language to our great sadness and our heartbreak, healing begins to happen within us. And we see this demonstrated in the book of Jonah. I love I love that this book is full of people that did not have easy lives because it makes me feel like I'm more normal. They struggle. They have heartache. And they are honest about it. And it's beautiful. I want you to hear what, what Jonah says. He says, you hurled me into the deep. He's talking to God. Into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah, in essence, is saying, God, you did this to me. If you've ever walked through something difficult in your life, there's a very good chance that at some point you said, God, you have done this to me. You have made it this way. And Jonah says it right to God, right to his face. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in powerful language, but Jonah is doing this work of, instead of going around this emotion that he's experiencing, he's going through it, and he's getting out what's on the inside, and we see this language again in the Psalms, in Psalm 42. It's beautiful poetic language. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Perhaps you've walked through something in your life or are walking through something in your life that's very, very difficult, and you've had friends say to you, well, what about this God that you say that you serve? Why is this happening if this God is good? Perhaps you've experienced these things that the psalmist writes about. He says, my bones suffer mortal agony. As my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me. Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? He's asking these difficult questions that rise within us when we walk through sadness. We walk through the great sadness. God, why are you letting this happen? Why did you allow this person that I love so deeply to be taken from me because of cancer or whatever the purpose or reason it was? Why are you allowing my marriage to break apart why did you take this child from my womb before it was even born? Why, God, did you do this? We have to ask these questions. If we want to move through this emotion in, in a way that's healthy, we have to ask these difficult questions. We have to get them out. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Um, he's one of the most prolific theologians and writers of our time. And he, uh, too, was not free from the great sadness. He lost his wife uh, to cancer. And he writes this. He says, part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery's shadow or reflection. The fact that you suffer, but then you have to keep thinking of the fact that you suffer. I not only live each endless day in grief, but live each day thinking about living each day in grief. Can you resonate with that if you've walked through something like this? 
He says, do these notes that he's writing merely aggravate that side of it, merely confirm the monotonous treadmill march of the mind around this one subject? But what am I to do? I must have some drug, and reading isn't a strong enough drug. Now, this is a scholar who loves to read, and he says, reading isn't cutting it anymore. I don't know how to escape this. He says, but, but writing it all down, all, maybe not all, but maybe one in a hundred thoughts, I believe I get a little outside of it. This is from his book called The Grief Observed, which is basically his journal as he grieves for his wife. Maybe by just writing it down, I can, I can maybe get a little bit outside of it. So maybe this morning, you've walked through something and you just need to give yourself the freedom to lament, to be honest with God, to get what's inside to the outside. Perhaps that can be the beginning of healing for you. So we have these two movements right? Turning towards God. And then we have the pouring out of our soul. And the third movement is this. We would trust God to intervene. We would trust God to respond. I want you to see it in the book of Jonah. This is what he does. He says this, I have been banished from your sight. This is verse four. But then listen to this, yet... Yet, I will look again towards your holy temple. He says, to the roots of the mountains, verse six, six, I sank down the earth beneath, barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. Now, in this particular verse, I, I bolded or yellowed brought. And what, what's so interesting about this, and you have to pay close attention to catch it, is that Jonah is praying from the belly of the fish right now. But he's talking as if God has already brought him out from the belly of the fish. But it hasn't happened yet. He's still there. But this is what we see from Jonah, this deep conviction, this deep understanding that even though it hasn't yet happened, that God is capable of bringing him out from this deep dark place of chaos and disorder. He trusts God so much to do this, to bring him out of the pit, that he prays as if it's already happened. To me, that's incredible. Jonah trusts God to redeem him, to restore him, to repair him, to bring him out of the pit. And he trusts him in a way that even though it hasn't happened yet, he's praying as if it did. I loved this. Such is the powerless power of prayer, utterly dependent on what is not yet, the promises of God still to be fulfilled. Isn't that powerful? I want to read that again. Such is the powerless power of prayer, utterly dependent on what is not yet, the promises of God still to be fulfilled. Jonah trusts God. He believes that God will intervene. He believes that God will get him out of where he is to the point that he can pray that it's already happened even though it hasn't already happened. There's this really interesting conversation in the book, The Shack, that Mac has with wisdom personified. 
And she says this to him. She said, what fuels the great sadness more than anything else is that God cannot be trusted, the belief that God cannot be trusted. See, what happens to us when we experience tragedy in our lives and sadness and loss and heartache is we begin to believe that because what we're experiencing is not good, that God is not good, and that he cannot be trusted. And that belief fuels our great sadness. But what Jonah is doing is he's saying from, from the pit, God, you can and you will bring me out. In fact, you already have, even though you haven't yet. I trust that even though what I'm walking through is hard and horrible and terrible and not good, I know that you are still good. And I know that that is one of the most difficult proclamations to make when you're in the heart of the great sadness. And so the question that we have to wrestle with, we can't avoid it, is do we trust God? Do we believe in a God that is still good even though what we're going through is not good? Can we, can we pray as Jonah prayed in the past tense? But you brought my life up from the pit. He's still in the pit, but he's praying as if it's already happened. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So often we turn to things to bring us comfort and wholeness and healing and restoration that just don't. Jonah says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not to cling to those worthless idols. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. I'll trust you. I will trust you even though I do not understand you. I will trust you and believe that you're good even though what I'm going through is not good. I'm going to have the band um, come back up. They're going to sing one more song, and I want to give you space to respond to these three different movements. And I don't know where you're at today. If some of you are just, just at the beginning of your journey through this challenge in your life. And so maybe today all you can pray is, Lord, let me not die while I'm still alive. But in doing so, you've turned towards him in just a little bit. But then maybe, maybe you're here and there's just something burning within you. And you need to write it down. There's a, a place over here for you to write your prayer, your lament to God. Like Jonah, like the psalmist, let's, let's get it all out. What's so beautiful about this God that we serve is that he is not afraid of our honesty. He is not afraid of our questions nor our accusations. So maybe you want to take just a couple minutes as they lead us and, and just write a prayer, write a lament. But get it out. Get it out. Maybe you just need to take some time just to wrestle with this question of, do I believe God can be trusted? Perhaps this has been an awful season for you in your life, and you wonder if this God that you follow is good, because what you're walking through is not good. Maybe we can pray like Jonah prayed and believe like Jonah believed for a God that will intervene. And here's the truth. 
Here's the truth. Jonah will never be the same person that he was prior to those three days and those three nights in the belly of the fish. He will never go back to how it was before. And, and if you've walked through something hard in your life, then you know that you will never be the same, will you? You'll never be that same person. You'll never have those same experiences. You'll always be marred. You'll always have scars from what it is that you've walked through. You're never the same. But God can redeem. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he can bring the good out of the worst circumstances? He can. I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it. He can do it. So do we trust that God to work in us and through us in the midst of our great sadness? Do you pray with me? Jesus, this is a hard topic today that we're talking about. And yet we know that we need to talk about it. And so I don't know where everyone's at this morning, but I do know that the, the great sadness is real, that it hurts, that it's hard, that it haunts us wherever we go. And God, we wanna move through it in a way that's healthy. We wanna move through it in a way in which we can experience your hand of healing in our lives. And so today we just, we wanna turn ourselves towards you. We don't want to become bitter, but we wanna allow this sadness in our life to draw us into you, Father. We wanna get what is on the inside to the outside so that you can begin to come in and to bring us healing and restoration. And God, we wanna say that even though we don't understand you, that we, can, that we trust you. That even though what sometimes we walk through in our life is not good, that God, you are still good and we can pray to a God being so certain that you will redeem and you will restore, that we can pray as if it's already happened, just like Jonah. So Spirit, would you come and would you help us to listen and hear from you in these next few minutes, God? In Jesus' name.